6 of Max by Catherine Cecil Thurston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 6 With the laugh, the personal moment passed. Henceforward, it was the technique of the pictures, the individualism of the artists, that claimed the boy's attention, and in this new field he proved himself yet another being, a creature of quick perception and curiously mature judgment, appreciative and observant, critical and generous. In warm and interested discussion they made the tour of the rooms, and when they emerged again into the frosty morning air, and were greeted by the dazzle of the sun, each was conscious of a deeper understanding. A new expression of interest, and something of respect, was visible in the Irishman's face as he looked down on the puzzling, elusive being whom he had picked up from the skirts of chance as he might have filched a jewel or a coin. "'Look here, boy,' he said. We mustn't say good-bye just yet. Come across the river, and let's find some little place where we can get a seat and a cup of coffee. The boy's only answer was to turn obediently, as the other slipped his hand through his arm, and to allow himself to be guided back across the Cour de la Reine and over the Pont Alexandre Trois. The bridge looked almost as impressive as the Place de la Concorde under its white garment, and his glance ranged from the high columns, topped by the winged horses, to the thronging bronze lamps, while the sense of breath and freedom fitted with his secret thoughts. Leaving the river behind them, they made their way onward across the Esplanade des Invalides, through the serried lines of trees, dark and formal against the January sky, to the Rue Faber. Here, in the Rue Faber, lay that note of contrast that is bound into the very atmosphere of Paris, the note that touches the imagination to so acute an interest. Here, Shabby, broken-down shops rubbed shoulders with fine old entries, entries that savoured of other times in the hint of roomy courtyard and green garden to be caught behind their gateways. Here were creameries that conjured the country to the eager senses, and laundries that exhaled a very aroma of work in the hot steam that poured through their windows, and in the babble of voices that arose from the women who stood side by side, arm in hand, bending over the long spotless tables piled with linen. It was a touch of Parisian life, small in itself, but subtle and suggestive as the premonition of spring, awakened by the twittering of the sparrows in the tall leafless trees, and the throbbing song of a caged canary that floated down from a window above a shop. It was suggested of that Parisian life that is as restless as the sea, as uncontrollable as possessed of hidden currents. Involuntarily the boy paused and glanced up at the bird in its cage, the bird that, regardless of the garden of greenstuffs pushed through its bars, was pouring forth its heart to the pale sun in a frenzy of worship. "'How strange that is,' he said. "'If I were a bird and saw the great sky, knowing myself imprisoned, I should beat my life out against my cage.' The Irishman looked down upon him. "'I wonder,' he said slowly. The quick grey eyes flashed up to his. "'You doubt it?' "'I don't know. On my soul, I don't know. "'Would you not beat your life out against a cage?' "'I wonder that, too. I'd like to think I would, but... "'You imagine you would hesitate? You think you would shrink?' "'I don't know. Human nature is so damnably patient. "'Come along. Here's the place we're looking for.' "'He drew the boy across the road to the doorway of a little café, "'over the door of which hung the somewhat pretentious sign, "'Maison Gustave.' 
the Maison Gustave was scarcely a more appetising place than the Hotel Rayot. One half of its interior was partitioned off, and filled with long tables, at which, earlier in the day, workmen were served with déjeuner, while the other and smaller portion, reserved for more fastidious guests, was fitted with a counter, ranged with fruit and cakes, and with half a dozen round, marble-topped tables, provided with chairs. This more refined portion of the café was empty of customers as the two entered. With the ease and decision of an habitué, the Irishman chose the table nearest to the counter, and presently a woman appeared from some inner region, and, approaching her customers, eyed them with that mixture of shrewd observation and polite welcome that belongs to the Frenchwoman who follows the ways of commerce. "'Good day, monsieur,' she inclined her head to one side, like a plump and speculative bird, and her hands began mechanically to smooth her black alpaca apron. "'Good day, madame.' The Irishman rose and took off his hat with a flourish that was essentially flattering. The bright little eyes of the Parisienne sparkled, and her round face relaxed into the inevitable smile. "'What could she have the pleasure of offering, monsieur? It was late, but she had an excellent ragout, now a little cold, perhaps, but capable in an instant.' The stranger put up his hand. "'Madame, we could not think of giving you the trouble.' "'Monsieur, a pleasure.' "'No, madame, it is past the art of déjeuner.' "'All we need is your charming hospitality and two cups of coffee.' "'Coffee, but certainly, while monsieur was saying the word, it would be made and served.' Madame hurried off, and in silence the Irishman took out his cigarette-case and, and offered it to the boy. Bare and even cold as the café was, there was a certain sense of shelter in the closed glass door, in the blue film of cigarette-smoke that presently began to mount upwards towards the ceiling and in the pleasant smell of coffee borne to them from unseen regions, mingling with the shrill, cheerful tones of their hostess's voice. "'A wonderful place, Paris, when all's said and done,' murmured the Irishman, drawing in a long, luxurious breath of smoke. "'How an English restaurant-keeper would stare you out of countenance if you demanded a modest cup of coffee when he had luncheon for you to eat! But here, bless you, they acknowledge the rights of man. If you want coffee, coffee you must have.' and that with the best grace in the world, lest your self-esteem be hurt. They're like my people at home. Consideration for the individual is the first thing. It means nothing, as Saxon will tell you, and probably he's quite right, but I'd sooner have a pleasant-spoken sinner any day than a disagreeable saint. Ah, here comes madame. The last words he added in French, and the boy watched him in amused wonder as he jumped to his feet and, meeting their hostess at the kitchen door, insisted upon taking the tray from her hands. Laughing, excited and flattered, the little woman followed him to the table. "'It was really too much. Monsieur was too kind.' "'On the contrary, it was not meant that women should wait upon man. Madame has accomplished her share in making this most excellent coffee.' He sniffed at the steaming pot with the air of a connoisseur. Madame laughed again this time self-consciously. "'Well, her coffee had been spoken of before now. Monsieur, her husband, who was quite a gourmet, always declared there was no such coffee in all Paris. Was not that so?' Madame's laugh was now a gurgle of delight. "'How clever of Monsieur! Yes, it was what he said.' "'Of course it was. And now how was this good husband, and how was life treating them both?' He put the question with deep solicitude as he poured out the coffee. And madame, standing by the table and smoothing her apron, grew serious, 
and before she was aware was pouring forth the grievance that at the moment was darkening her existence, the disappointment that had befallen the Maison Gustave, when her father-in-law, a market gardener near Issy, who had a little sum of money laid by, had married again at the age of sixty-four. Could Monsieur conceive anything more grotesque? An old man of sixty-four marrying a young woman of twenty? Of course there would be a child. Her shoulders went up, her hands went out in expressive gesture. And her little Leon would be cheated of his grandfather's money by this creature who— At this moment the sound of a kettle boiling over brought the story to an abrupt end, and Madame flew off, leaving her guests to a not unwelcome solitude. As her black skirt whisked round the corner of the door, the boy looked at his companion. "'You come here often?' he said. The other laughed. "'I've never set foot in the place before. It's a way we Irish have of putting our fingers into other people's pies. Some call it intrusion,' he glanced quizzically at the boy. "'But these good creatures understand it. They're more human than the Saxon or the—' Again a glint of humour crossed his face as he paused on his unfinished sentence. The boy reddened and impulsively leaned across the table. "'You have taught me something, monsieur,' he said shyly, "'and I have much to learn.' The other returned the glance seriously, intently. "'What is it I have taught you?' "'That in the smaller way of life it is not possible to stand quite alone.' The Irishman laid down his cigarette. With native quickness of comprehension the spirit of banter dropped from him. His mood merged into the boy's mood. "'No,' he said, "'we are not meant to stand quite alone. "'And when two of us are flung up against each other, "'as we have been flung, by a wave of circumstance, "'you may take it that the gods control the currents. "'In our case, I would say, "'let's bow to the inevitable. "'Let's be friends.' "'He put out his hand "'and took the boy's strong, slim fingers in his grasp. "'I don't want your secret,' he added with a quickening interest, "'but I want to know one thing.' "'Tell me what you are seeking here in Paris. "'Is it pleasure, or money, or what?' "'He watched the boy's mobile face as he put his question. "'He saw it swept by emotion, "'transfigured as if by some inner light. "'Then the hand in his trembled a little, "'and the grey eyes with their flecks of gold "'were lifted to his own, "'giving insight into the hidden soul. "'I want more than pleasure, monsieur, "'more than money,' he said. "'I want... First life, and then fame. End of chapter six.